Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Rochelle Grossman. Rochelle is the Yiddish Book Center's bibliography and collections manager. Rochelle is a specialist in Yiddish print culture and is completing a doctorate in comparative literature at Harvard University. Prior to joining the center, she lived in Warsaw, where she researched post-war Yiddish publishing. Previously, Rochelle participated in the Yiddish Book Center's Steiner Summer Yiddish Program and was a Yiddish language pedagogy fellow. She holds a master's in Jewish education and a bachelor in modern Jewish studies from the Jewish Theological Seminary, as well as a bachelor's in comparative literature from Columbia University. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you. So excited to have you here on the schmooze for today's conversation. Um, And before we get started, let me add that I'm also thrilled that you've joined the staff here at the center. I think I speak for all of us on that account. Well, I'm definitely also very excited to be here at the center and to be talking with you today. So our introduction to one another sort of charts a bit of a path, I think, in terms of where and how you've come to Yiddish. Um, Not that I'm trying to insert myself in your Yiddish studies, Um, but we first (laughs) met at the center when you were here for the Center's Steiner Summer Yiddish program. Uh, A few years after that, we connected in Warsaw at the, I believe, Jewish Historical Museum. Um, Was that where, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I Definitely remember meeting you, I think, connected with Yidstock and and the different things that we did as Steiner students with the center. And then it must have been almost exactly two years ago during the um, Kutno Festival uh, Mm -hmm. for Shalom Ash. Um, and then seeing you at the the Zich, the Jewish Historical Institute in Poland, that was another um, great time to run into you and so fun that it was in Poland. And you were working on your PhD there, I believe, and uh, I think we've all found our way to one another in the bookstore there. But all of these, I think, encounters illustrate your deep and varied engagement with Yiddish language, literature, and culture. So, of course, I want to ask you how you came to Yiddish and a little bit about your focus. Sure. Um, I suppose I came to Yiddish in college. I think a lot of uh, scholars of my generation and folks who didn't grow up with Yiddish also kind of became acquainted with it in college by taking different kinds of literature courses. And that is definitely my story. I took a course with David Roth at the Jewish Theological Seminary, I think my second or my third year of college, and I just became very interested in these different kinds of of narratives about migration, about um, belonging, assimilation, and really about Jewish life that was really, um, I found the questions that were being asked were very relevant and very interesting. And I was surprised that nobody had taught me much about Yiddish ever before. So for me, that was the beginning of a journey that took me then um, in graduate school. I started learning Yiddish language and uh, started this PhD and continued to work at it. And 
it sort of brought me all over the world to different summer programs, of course, Steiner, but I also went to Warsaw, went to Vilna through different research. I went to Mexico City and to Buenos Aires to do research on Yiddish in Latin America. And um, then most recently living in Warsaw and being able to do some very um, high level archival work with a lot of interesting materials in Polish and also in Yiddish was, um, was also a great adventure. Well, it certainly seems that you keep sort of finding your way to all of these really interesting situations um, around the world, if I may. And let me go to the fact that a few months ago you wrote, um, well, we wrote about the onslaught of Yiddish books that had been arriving pretty much daily at the center over the past year. And you responded to ask if you and Gabe, your now husband, could volunteer to help sort through some of the mountain of boxes. And what prompted that and what's involved in that work um, when you asked if you could do the volunteering? Yeah, sure. So I had returned from Poland in May, and my husband and I were sort of thinking, what are we going to do? We're sort of in the middle of things. Um, we had been planning to move to New York for his um, rabbinical studies, and I was still working on my dissertation. And we got this email, I think, like many, many folks got these appeals um, from the center reporting on all of these amazing finds and also asking for help because there are so many books to unpack. And I think um, Gabe and I kind of said to each other, oh man, well, I don't have any money to give, but I could definitely help unpack some boxes. And this was kind of a joke, you know, maybe we should write to them and let them know that we could, you know, show up and, and if we could come for a week or, or something like that, we'd be really happy to help out. And I'd say also for me, um, these past years with a lot of archives closing and libraries not being very accessible, it was also very exciting for me to think that I could go to the center and I could really have some good quality time with the materials. So that was a little bit of a, a kind of extra incentive for me to find my way to the center. So, you know, it's a frequently asked question here at the center when we have visitors. And, you know, if for those of our listeners who haven't been here before, in amongst our exhibits are all of these incoming boxes of books that are sort of right now everywhere <laughs> in the center. Um, and they're curious what happens, how, how the books get processed. Can you speak a little bit about that? And also, you know, maybe what your Yiddish knowledge level needed to be um, and what and what you encountered in terms of going through these. And again, I'll talk to you a little bit in a little bit about the vault, because I know that that was where you spent a, a good deal of that week. Sure. Well, just in general, and a lot of the work that I'm doing currently has to do with processing a lot of these donations, which have continued to come in at a really amazing pace. And sort of the, the general workflow is, um, you know, we open a book, uh, we open the box and sort of assess generally how many books are there. Are there things other than books in the box, journals, 
uh, sometimes little bits of ephemera like postcards or newspaper clippings. So step one is just to take a kind of um, big picture snapshot of, of what's in the box then to begin to dive in. And so some things we notice immediately are um, certain books that are in massive prints. For example, there are a lot of copies of a certain set of Shalom Aleichem uh, collected works. And um, so I sort of have a mental uh, checklist of which books are definitely not rare, and so Shalom Aleichem comes to mind, some different kinds of translations. Um, those I kind of look for to see, okay, which books can I kind of put off to the side that I know that these can be put on the repository floor. And then I am often surprised. There are very usually some really interesting treasures, um, some things that I have been studying over these years with my doctoral work has been the kind of um, print history of different editions of Yiddish books and the different mm, presses um, in different parts of the world that published even the same works, but in different kinds of collections or under different titles um, of, of anthologies or, or things like that. And anyway, this is to say that sometimes books will come in that maybe we've seen this title before, but it was printed actually in Mexico City or in Uruguay or in Moscow. And so I'm always attentive to the particular presses because those things tell interesting stories about the kind of shifting centers of the Yiddish literary world. And um, of course, this also has to do with the years in which they're printed, the pre-war, uh, even pre-World War I um, presses are specific. And then there are the interwar presses and, of course, the post-war um, presses as well. So I don't need to get into too many more little details, though I obviously love talking about these kinds of things. But I am aware of that, and I try to make a note, okay, if this is something from uh, the Yiddish Buch Farlag, which was a post-war Yiddish publisher in communist Poland in the late 40s, 50s, and 60s, I can pretty much say that that is a very special book, probably rare. I'm definitely going to flag it to, um, to preserve it, to keep it in a special part of the vault, maybe, and to just note where certain things should live. Um, and then beyond that, when I'm looking at the books, I, I try to get a sense too of um, if this is an interesting personal collection, how does this box of Yiddish books speak to the kind of intellectual life of the donor? Are these interesting uh, collections of translations from other languages into Yiddish? And I try to keep a few notes about that. And if possible, I like to reach out to the donor to kind of be in touch to say, I processed your collection or your donation. And I was really touched by some of these books. And I think you ought to know that this is what they are. And I don't always go into very much detail, but I think it's important that people have a kind of sense of what these books are and um, how important they really are in painting a picture of this whole Yiddish Jewish uh, cultural civilization. 
I think that's apparent in, in your enthusiasm and your work. And I think both our bibliographer, David Mazauer, and you bring so much to understanding what these books are about and, and the, as you say, the larger stories of who read them, who collected them, where, where were they printed. And when you volunteered, I was lucky enough to get daily reports because um, I invited you to stay <laughs> at my place, which is <laughs> wonderful. Um, and it was totally uh, a guilty pleasure to hear, you know, you and David speaking about these books and what you had found, the exchanges. I'd love to know what some of your favorite finds were or surprises or even the challenges um, beyond what I will call the um, ill-fitted vault jumpsuits. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Um well, there are a lot of very cool treasures in the vault, and some of them are so apparent when you hold, for example, a Yiddish book from the 20s published in Berlin or in Leipzig. Um, I find that these books, this is, this is the Yiddish avant-garde was, was printing there. And oftentimes these books are extremely beautiful. They're printed sometimes on nice paper and almost always they have some kind of very graphic covers and inside it's just amazing art. And it's interesting to see the kind of collaborations between artists and poets um, that is on display in a lot of these books, including things that I didn't realize. Um, just a, a week or two ago, I found one of these kind of art books in a new um, a new donation that had come in. And it was a work by, um, by Max Weinreich, who is famous for his uh, linguistic work on, on Yiddish. And as far as I knew, he was not um, a creative writer or involved in the Yiddish avant-garde. But this book that came in was beautifully, beautifully done on the cover in this very pretty gold um, lettering. And the artist who, who illustrated this book for him was really inspired by Egyptian hieroglyphics. And the book itself was a kind of retelling of the story of Joseph going down to Egypt. And it was very beautiful and also very curious because of the subject matter, of course, and um, as well because of the very famous person who, who did this work that was just not like the, the work that he really became well known for in his later years. So that's something that I um, am really drawn to. I also found recently some very interesting translations into Yiddish from, um, from Shakespeare. Shakespeare was really popular, but um, I find that the copies of Shakespeare are a little bit sparse because they were so popular that not a ton of them are around. And some of them have a lot of interesting adaptations. And so some of that has been fun to find, as well as different kinds of school primers and material for children that, again, um, it's not only beautiful, but I really like opening it up and seeing how these books were used, that sometimes there are little doodles or crayon drawings on things. Um, I opened one and there was um, some kind of graffiti some kid was writing, these kind of snarky comments about the different kinds of activities being asked um, and that's that's really fun, and it's even um, 
it's more fun also for me to find when I find two maybe same primers, one published in New York and one kind of uh, reprinted in Mexico City or in Warsaw, all kind of around the same time. It gives me a sense of how the Yiddish school system uh, was operating in a transnational kind of framework. And I like to imagine what that must have been like for these kids growing up in these very, very different contexts, but still having a kind of shared educational Yiddish experience in some way. It's so exciting that it just really opens up aspects of culture through a book. Um, in yeah, sometimes in the most unapparent and simple ways, as you say, even the annotations. I know um, I have on my desk a small little book, which you describe as a darling book, which it is, um, which you were asking about uh, in terms of maybe figuring out if it was something we could reproduce. And tell me a little bit about that. It's just such a um, sweet book. And of course, I can't read yet. So what is it? (laughs) I believe this is a little olive base book that I happened upon. Um, and I, I brought it right to you without looking at it in tons of detail because it, I believe each page is just another letter of the olive base and, and they're illustrated and they're very cute. And it's a, another example of the kind of intersection of visual and literary and also something, as you say, not, not everybody who has an interest in this material necessarily can, can read Yiddish or, or has a lot of um, access with the language. Um, but I, I don't think that should prevent people from engaging at the level that they, that they are coming to the material with. And, and people can approach things from lots of different perspective. So this little cute book struck me as something that many people might appreciate because it's it's tiny, it's very charming. And again, it has all of these um, these pictures and things that make it accessible um, from other from other perspectives. And the other thing, because I'm the yeah, so into the visuals, because that's the part I can look at. Um, I'd love that you've been showing me all of the various uh, logos for these publishers. Yeah, that's something that I, um, I didn't expect to, to notice. But when you go through so much material, certain things start to hop off the page and you just keep noticing them. So the presses that I have studied very intently, primarily the Yiddish Buch Farlag out of Poland, um, the Mustervek series, Tos Polish Yidentum out of Buenos Aires, and, and a few others. I very easily recognize their little logos because they are very, um, well, they're very specific. And I just can tell, oh, this must be a book by this publisher. And sure enough, if you open it, you'll see their logo. But it's not just um, these presses that have these qualities. And as I started going through the Rare Books collection and, and the bigger collection in general, there are all sorts of press uh, logos and stamps and things, and they're very beautiful as well. And sometimes they describe the character of the press um, one is Oifsnai out of Paris, and it's um, it's a sunrise because the press was imagining itself in the post-war 
under this banner of um, French communism with with Yiddishism as part of its mission. They imagined that they were doing a a kind of rebirth. The sun is rising um, over Europe for Yiddish, for Jews. And this is part of the visual language that is part of its, uh, its very tiny little logo. But a lot of presses have different kinds of pictures like these, and they're, they're fun to see, and they are beautiful, and they also help to tell the story of the press and the print culture more generally. And uh, currently, as we are speaking, um, our new cohort of fellows is outside in the writer's garden, outside my window, um, getting their photo taken. And you'll be working with several of the fellows as well. Yeah. Yes. I, in general, I, I hope to work with all of them in some capacity as they engage with the materials here. And um, in particular, I'm working with two of our fellows who are helping with bibliography and they are so wonderful already. I can tell that they are really enthusiastic. They have great facility with the language and I'm sure throughout the year will get even better and more comfortable. And I can tell also as they go into the vault or they um, unpack boxes that there is a lot of interest in understanding the story behind the books and what um, what the future of these books can be, how we can use these books in um, in our lives in different ways. So sometimes there's a kind of academic question, and I'm often drawn to that world. Uh, but I'm inspired by these fellows, especially because they are approaching these materials not only intellectually in that way, but I can tell that they also are curious about them in a sort of everyday uh, living Yiddish kind of way. And, and that's cool. I like that. Um, I, I also love that each one of you brings some different way uh, and, you know, of taking something away from these books, um, you different interests and things like that. So I guess my last question for you, Rochelle, is could you have ever imagined all of the places, let's say literally and figuratively, that Yiddish has and will take you? <laughs> oh, what a question. Um, well, I think that there have been so many surprises and so many little turns and twists and things. And um, I mean, I certainly don't think I, I would have imagined it or could have maybe 10 years ago or even two years ago. Um, that each sort of experience has become cumulative with all of the previous ones. Um, but I am definitely so, so grateful. I think learning Yiddish and engaging with different aspects of Yiddish culture, these things have, have brought me to different, um, different communities to speak with different kinds of people and to, um, and it's deepened my personal relationships um, you know, with my husband, for example. There are all sorts of ways that engaging with Yiddish has been very enriching. And it's, it's lovely. And I feel very grateful that I'm able to do it also professionally and to work with these books every day. 
Well, um, again, we're delighted to have you here. It's really exciting and look forward to all of the discoveries and all that you'll be doing to help with um, managing all of the collections and the rare books, et cetera. So welcome aboard um, and thanks for taking a few minutes to join me today. Well, thank you, Lisa. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.